0: Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for the WAM Alternative Assets Investor Update and Questions and Answers. Um, this is your company, and we're pleased to provide you with the opportunity to ask us uh, any questions. My name is Jeff Wilson. Um, I am one of the directors. Uh, I'm also uh, Chair of the Investment Manager, Wilson Asset Management, um, and I'm uh, Chair of the Investment Committee of you know, WAM Alternate Assets. We're going to be joined today. You know, we've got a, a, you know, a great session for you um, by Portfolio Manager, Dania Zinarova, um, and she'll take you through you know, what she's been doing with the portfolio and giving you a bit of a view of what's you know, happening uh, you know, going forward. We're very lucky to have you know one of our um, effectively investment partners. These are the, you know, the companies or the managers that we have used some of your um, finite capital to invest with, uh, and that's um, Adamantum Capital, and, and Rob uh, Koska is going to be with us today. He's the Managing Director, and Rob's got a, a you know, fantastic history. I've known him for quite a period of time in the private equity uh, space and has been very successful. Also, um, we've got Adrian Hsu, um who's on the board uh, as a fellow director and also on the invest- as an investment committee member. Um, and then we'll sort of uh, you know, finish it all off with a QA and a session. Our corporate uh, affairs advisor, Olivia Harris, she will be you know, running that. A number of people have already sent in questions, and thank you. Uh, and can anyone who's got any questions, please send them in. Um, yes oh, a couple of days ago we had a, a, a webinar um, and we really just had we had a lot of questions. You know, we, we try to restrict these webinars to an hour. Uh, if there are any questions that are, that are unanswered you know, during the webinar, then we will definitely you know, come back to you um, and answer them. In terms of just looking at the you know, the year we've had uh, for WMA, um, it, it, again, uh, wMA it was a it was a very solid year in terms of the operating profit it was actually a, a record operating profit of you know, a little over you know, twenty two million dollars the portfolio increased um, over the tw- in the twelve month period about th- a little over thirteen uh, percent and that is a yeah you know, that that's for a um, an alternate asset uh, strategy that's a that's a solid uh, performance the um, Anyone who's, as you're all shareholders, you you, you know that we are committed uh, to make sure the the value of the assets are fully reflected in the share price of WMA. At the moment, they're trading at a bit of a discount. Yeah, you know, it's a um, a little over a ten percent discount. Yeah, you know, when we were um, when we when was announced we we're going to you know go to take over, they were trading at about a thirty odd percent discount. So we're happy with the initial. Uh, reduction of the discount, but we would assume over the next period um, that that uh, discount disappears and the share price ends up to fully reflect the value of the asset, starts trading around NTA. You would have been aware um, in terms of the dividend, there was a, you know, the final dividend that was announced uh, the other day was a two cent final dividend and the board gave a clear message that the interim dividend will be two cents. Uh, the plan is to go back to, you know, to to change to sort of the, the Wilson Asset Management way of paying dividends, and that's, you know, providing a growing stream of fully frank dividends to shareholders. You know, and we're, we like the base. We're starting with, you know, say, a $0.02 cent interim and a $0.02 cent full year, uh, and then we'd be looking at for that, you know, dividend, you know, the fully frank dividend to grow over time. You'd be aware that the... The marginal buyer for listed investment companies tends to be the self-managed super funds. Now, we've seen that with Wham Capital and our other listed investment companies. About 65% of those shareholders are, are self-managed super funds. And um, you know, I, I, we would assume this this will be the evolution of the WMA investors over time. Uh, and, and so that dividend, a growing stream of fully frank dividend is very important you know, to that that group the what I might do now I might just start off um, and ask dunya some questions yeah, Danya you've been um, you know, effectively managing the portfolio for almost a year can you just take us through you know effectively over that 12month period you know what you've done with the portfolio
1: good afternoon everyone thank you Jeff. Um very pleased with the results for the financial year of the portfolio and reflecting back, it's been a busy year for us but also very productive year. Um, we reviewed the strategy in the portfolio and there is more focus on the long term sustainable performance of the investments in the portfolio and rebalancing portfolio towards a better mix of income producing and capital appreciating or growth investment strategies, which is very important given that it's a portfolio structured um, as LIC. Um, There was also a lot of time that I spent on sourcing new investment opportunities and familiarizing the market with WMA brand, which is very important. Um, So reaching out to my network of contacts within the investment management industry um, and explaining what is WMA, what is our proposition going forward. And it was great to see so much support in the market. I'm getting a lot of inbound inquiries from the investment teams willing to work with us. And uh, that obviously enables me to source very interesting investment opportunities for the shareholders. It's also very good and strong year for the alternatives in general. So not only I'm excited about this asset class, but it's the broader market sentiment. And I'd like to remind to the shareholders that it's an asset class that provides great diversification benefits to the broader investment portfolio quite a few asset classes within alternatives have can, can serve as a good inflation hedge, such as real estate and infrastructure. It does provide better combination of income return and capital appreciation. And also thematic investing, it's a big thing within alternative asset space. Um, we also spend quite a lot of time with our existing investment partners So, going through the inherited portfolio um, and engaging with the investment partners on the underlying investments, um, the observation that I'd like to share with the shareholders is that the portfolio is in a very healthy state. Um, I've seen good um, valuations outcome for the financial year across private equity, venture capital, real assets. And... It also has a very clear maturity profile, in particular when I look at the illiquid part of the inherited portfolio. So when we took over WMA, took over the management rights for the portfolio, it was already getting closer to its maturity profile, which means over the next two to four years, we'll see more exits from the inherited portfolio, and I expect good exits, um, as some of the exits we had this year, they had really they delivered good results. So it's about setting the strategy long term and recycling the capital that we receive from exits into new investment opportunities.
0: I mean, just just on that, Dan, You just want to talk a little bit about yeah you know, over the 12 month period. You know, what companies you know, helped with that performance?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: what that contributed to it?
1: Um, so, the three top asset classes, I'd focus on asset classes rather than going through each holding within the portfolio. Um, the top three were private equity, um, real assets, and real estate. And it's very much in line with what I see in the broader market. So private equity was the strongest uh, performer within the portfolio. As I mentioned uh, previously, it's at a very good um, level in terms of the maturity. So most of the portfolio companies are experiencing this post-J-curve effect when we see uplifts in valuations and the investment managers are getting quite a lot of inbound inquiries and interest in their portfolio companies. We also saw this year a good successful exit from one of the private equity investments we had, Better Medical Fund, um, and that just shows strong demand in the market for this type of businesses. When I look at the broader Australian market and compare how our portfolio performed, um, it's very much in line with the performance. Australian private equity with the vintage year 2017-18 was the second best performer in the private equity globally. And at the same time had the lowest median um, standard deviation uh, to net IRR. Basically, you're getting better returns with lower risks uh, from Australian private equity. It's a very tightly held market, um, so that also helps with the performance. Real assets, um, you know, I'm a big supporter of real assets. Um, It's a very resilient asset class, very diverse asset class with great investment opportunities, Uh, quality and skills very important in this asset class. And we have quite a substantial allocation to real assets within the portfolio. And real estate, um, you know, we have some really good assets within the fund. Um, I expect the allocation to real estate will be growing over time. And there are really good entry points in the market right now because of some mispriced um, investments.
0: And, and just on that, really what do you mean you know, from a in real estate you know, like when you say real estate, yeah you know, I think as is the, is the layman's real estate is going and buying a building. you know, when you talk about real estate, what do you, what are you talking about?
1: So real estate um, again, a lot of diversity within that asset class sector is more traditional sectors like office, commercial, retail, industrial, last mile logistics, but also alternative sectors, such as healthcare real estate. And we committed this year to healthcare real estate strategy, which has very strong market fundamentals. It's also thinking about different approach to investing in real estate. Um, So when I think opportunities for WMA I'm more focusing at the moment on what I call value-add opportunistic strategies, basically finding assets that are undervalued or with high vacancy rates and finding investment partners who can execute the strategy, either redevelop the asset, refurbish, attract new tenants. And this is usually the strategy with higher capital appreciation, And at some point, um, after two to three years maturity, those assets start yielding as well. So it's quite an attractive uh, play in the real estate market right now.
0: Thanks. I I do like assets that move up quickly in valuation. So (laughs) I'm sure sure all shareholders are are in that cap. And and Danya, just probably a final question for you before we go open it up for the question and answers, which obviously a number you'll be answering. The next 12 months, where do you you see the portfolio heading? Or you you mentioned there, you you gave us a little bit of a hint. Is there any other areas that you're focused on or how you see the portfolio developing?
1: Yes, next 12 months, look very um, excited about the next 12 months because uh, my expectation is there will be more exits coming through, in particular from private equity and venture capital part of the portfolio. Uh, which means I can recycle this capital in the new investments. So that's number one. Number two is the deployment of capital in the new commitments that we made this year. So just to recap, this year we committed to Palisade, the Resfied Infrastructure Fund, Barwon Institutional Healthcare Property Fund, and Adamantum Private Equity Fund. Adamantum um, had a very robust investment pipeline, and so they've already started deploying the capital that we committed. Palisade and Barwin are expected to start deploying capital next year, which will improve the income profile um, within our portfolio. These are mature income producing uh, portfolios that we committed to, and this would definitely help us to continue growing um, our LSC and growing the profitability.
0: Thanks, Tanya, and we'll come back to you later with q and um, I know we've got Adrian Sue um, on the phone, who's on the investment committee, um, also director, and I can't remember, is it three years ago now, I remember ringing Adrian and saying, look, now, w- w- there's there's a company called, it was the old Blue Sky, and it um, you know, has some interesting assets, and I, I, I said, look, we're thinking about putting our hand up you know, and putting and wanting to manage it because we think there's an enormous opportunity in people's portfolios you know, particularly for a listed investment company that has alternative assets and Adrian jumped on board and and you know, did a lot of the hard work and the negotiating with the previous blue sky people and the oak tree people and like you know, on behalf of all shareholders look thank you for that Adrian and you got you know you got us to the position where you know the company could be you know we could take over as manager, you know, we could bring on someone of Dunya's uh, uh, exceptional experience. Um, now, Adrian, you, know, you, you sit on the board and also you sit on the, you know, the investment committee. Uh, do you want to share with us your sort of a pers- any perspective on the portfolio, perhaps some things that the investment committee, you know, are looking out for? And I know you're on, you, know, you you're, you've rung in because, you know, there's been a, a Technology isn't working that well exactly where you are. <laughs> Thanks, Adrian. <laughs>
2: thank, thank you, Jeff, um, for that really kind introduction. So, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Adrian Seeu. Um, First of all, I'd like to thank the shareholders and WAN for, uh, for having me here today. Uh, it's truly a privilege to be involved in today's discussions. I to give everyone a bit of background. I was with Carlisle, uh, a global equity group, for more than 10 years. Before getting that... Uh, Call from uh, from Jeff, you know, three years ago. Um, so, to some extent, I've been on this journey since day one, and I did share the pain and the frustration that our shareholders had to go through uh, during those uh, very difficult months of uncertainty. While I definitely would not want to relive those days, uh, I must say that the the whole restructuring and transition process was probably necessary evil. Because without having gone through it, I'm not sure that the fund will be doing as well as it uh, is today. Uh, as Jeff said, that you know we spent close to 18 months pursuing the asset. And I don't think that we would have spent all that time and efforts if not because we truly saw the real potential of the portfolio. And how, as Jeff said, that you know, alternative investments uh, would be a really good addition to our investors' overall investment strategy. The, portfolio, the original portfolio candidly had um, strong fundamentals. Uh, it has arguably one of the best water rights portfolios in the market. Uh, its private equity investments were rather mature, uh, as pointed out by Dania. they very well into the investment cycle, uh, some exciting. You know, hard so in my humble opinion, it was a good portfolio, but one which was in need of the right leadership, uh, the right governance, and the right incentive structure uh, to do well. Now, fast forward to today, um, I can't be more proud with the work that WAM and Dania have done uh, in executing the investment pieces. Uh, private companies are a significant part of the economy. Uh, they're materially more private companies than listed companies. So the opportunity set here is huge. When WAM took, first took over the management of the fund, uh, about a quarter of the fund, of $50 million roundabout, uh, was uninvested. This was by no means a significant amount of dry powder, especially considering the universe of asset classes which the fund could invest in. So to some extent, uh, I wasn't surprised at all when Dania came to the investment committee with proposals to invest in Palisade, in you know, bargain, and other Menton. These are some of the best in-class managers and you know, the people that have been entrusted for years to deliver a consistent track record, you know, adding real value to their investments. So I'm really glad that um, they're now part of the WMA family. And I think that you'll hear from Rob of uh, Edomentum a a little bit later. The committee, committee, my focus together with the other committee members is really to ensure our shareholders get the best possible level of returns without unnecessarily taking on too much risk. It's a very delicate balance, uh, but one that we need to get right. One of the features of private investments is that we're looking at a multi-year investment horizon here. Uh, A typical investment in private equity will span three to five years. And at the time of the exit, the next owner needs to continue to see future value in the business. So as a result, uh, we strive to form a very long-term view on the industry and uh, on the business. As a private equity investor, you better make sure that you do your homework. Every investment needs to be a high-conviction investment, one that will stand the test of time. And it's far from being an easy task, I can tell you. Uh, It requires a lot of vision, uh, it requires a lot of diligence, and lots of flexibility, because, candidly, uh, nobody can predict the future uh, with a high level of certainty. So what makes a good investor is really the ability to be nimble and to adapt to whatever challenges thrown at it. And that's why the quality of the manager really matters here. And in this regard, while it's very early days, um, Dania is doing an excellent job. Um, Having spent 10 years at Willis Tower Watson, she knows the private market intimately. Uh, Every time I talk to Dania, I I learn something from her as well. Um, She appreciates which asset classes best complement the current portfolio, where the talents are, who are the best managers, and equally important, where the pitfalls are. Within months of coming on board, uh, the portfolio is repositioned, new investments and new managers and new asset classes. And equally importantly, I think she has fostered a very strong relationship with the legacy managers. And our dialogue and rapport with these managers have never been better. Um, this, is, this is very important because the legacy portfolio remains, like it or not, remains a significant portion of the total portfolio. And we all need to drive this portion of the portfolio as hard as possible in order to deliver the best possible outcome for our shareholders. Um, In closing, I'd like to uh, reassure our shareholders that the capital is in good hands. Um, There's still a lot to be done to the portfolio. I mean, we're barely scratching the surface here in terms of fully exploring the opportunity set. But as Jeff said, the WAM team remains very committed to closing the trading discount. In my view, um, there's no better way of doing it and by demonstrating the ability of the fund to deliver consistent performance, regardless of market and economic cycles. Uh, With that, I'll turn it back to you, Jeff.
0: Look, thanks. Thanks very much, uh, Adrian. Uh, And and you've you've sort of given us a little bit of a heads up uh, to our next guest. That's Rob Koska. Uh, And Rob, he's the Managing Director of Adamantum. Just to give you a bit of background, I've known Rob for a number of years um, the uh, well, in his early, in his very early days, he was at a management consultant, you know, probably one of the best in the world, Bain and Co. You know, he then uh, went to uh, PEP Pacific Equity Partners and was a managing director there in the very, again, early days. You know, for a decade, in I think from two thousand and four onwards, um, he then decided to give back to society and work for social ventures for a period of time. Uh, and, you know, set up Adamantum an, a number of years ago. And, um, you know, has you know, been aware of these guys for a period of time and and, and selected them, really, on their ability to uh, perform. Why don't I um, just pass over to Rob now? And, Rob, if you can just give us a little bit of a... Um, you know, just sh- share a little bit about Adamantum um, and, and maybe just talk... You know, if you can talk about... Um, Yeah, the fund that we've invested in, or um, just give us a bit of colour about that. That'll be
3: great. Jeff, um, great to be here today, and great to be uh, partnering with you in this uh, in this new venture. Uh, Adam Antum's been around for about uh, five and a half years now, but as Jeff said, uh, a number of us who started Adam Antum then started our uh, careers investing in private equity in the uh, sort of mid-late 90s. Uh, and we uh, we got back into the private equity market because we saw both an opportunity to uh, to create a sort of a new approach to uh, investing in the asset class in Australia, and we had the opportunity to focus on um, a series of, uh, of, um, of assets which we thought were being underexploited at the time. So really what we do... Uh, is focus on what we describe as a mid-market uh, companies enterprise value of sort of 100 to 400 million dollars, which sort of sits between where the public market uh, wants to, uh, to to focus its its efforts in terms of research and following companies, and where uh, family companies and private entrepreneurs can can generally work. We have a very proactive origination approach where we're focusing on. Private companies with uh, multiple shareholders where their agendas start to differ, and we particularly like circumstances where we can replace one shareholder uh, and work with with an existing founder or long-term holder of a business to grow value and take more operating risks in that business. We also quite like the public-to-private market because we think in in that sort of smaller uh, public company market, there are plenty of situations where um, it's difficult for managers to really talk to the public market and get capital to uh, grow their businesses. And so we're able to come in and buy uh, what we perceive to be growth opportunities based on a yield type um, yield type multiple. When we go and invest in a company, our, uh, our, our core idea is to uh, find situations where there's a reasonable market position in an industry which is not – That's cyclical, where there are ESG risks that are manageable, but where we can find uh, one or two ideas that we can back a management team to go and execute, which will uh, significantly increase the profitability and the profit trajectory of the business. Now, they might be uh, investing in new product development, buying an additional company, launching in a new market, investing in technology that allows profit improvement, uh, or, uh, or significant overhead cost production, as examples. But we like to, uh, at that beginning point of the journey, um, put the company into strategic motion, which allows us to take advantage of opportunities as they come along. One of the things that I think distinguishes our approach is that we're very conscious about uh, uh, the, the markets and uh, the impacts that the companies have, uh, in terms of the products and services that they actually develop uh, and the way they're managed in terms of the uh, ESG-type risks that they're taking on. We have a very proactive approach to environmental sustainability, participation and transparency, and are very uh, considered in the way we think about uh, climate risk, the, the way we think about uh, investors and uh, markets and employees, and the way we think about uh, issues around transparency like cybersecurity, uh, privacy, modern slavery and so forth. We think those things give us a, a real uh, differentiated lens on how we uh, both contribute to value creation in businesses but how we attract talent to work with uh, in the companies that we're, uh, we're, we're, we're investing both from a management perspective but also from a team perspective. So I think this formula has been working well for us over the last five years. We've invested uh, Fund 1 uh, over about three years, and, um, and Jeff, you've uh, come into partner with us in Fund 2, um, as, uh, as we've sort of mentioned. We've invested in two assets in Fund 2 at the moment. About 20% of the capital is already deployed. Uh, the first of those is in a company which is now called Linen Services Australia, and so that was uh, the laundry business that we bought from Downer. Um, it was part of the Spotless business that they had bought a couple of years ago. Uh, linen Services Australia is the uh, leading provider of linen services to the healthcare industry, um, and by far and away is the major provider of uh, linen to uh, to all of the hospitals. Uh, all around the country, we have uh, we have uh, laundries in every in every state and in New Zealand, uh, and we have a, a, a significant um, uh, business in garments as well. Uh, so that's largely to industrial customers uh, and sort of industrial uh, uniforms and things like that. The investment thesis that we're working with there is to back a management team who have run that business before and achieved significantly higher levels of profitability than we've been. Generated uh, by uh, by the uh, the previous owners, and we're we're doing that through uh, tight uh, on the ground management, as well as investing in uh, new laundries and new equipment, and releasing uh, some land uh, to get uh, get some operating efficiencies in the, the total uh, capital structure there, uh, and focusing on uh, new client development. Um, and it's been quite interesting in the context of COVID uh, to see a um, number of the uh, hospital and health systems look to uh, outsource some of their requirements to uh, companies like Linen Services Australia where they previously were working things on a 100% source basis. So, so quite, uh, quite prospective uh, in that business at the moment. Uh, and then the second asset that we've invested in is a company called Climate Friendly and that's a carbon abatement project developer so what that means is they work with landowners uh, to help them change the way they manage their land to grow trees and sequester carbon into their uh, into into the into the land and in that process they generate carbon credits uh, which they then are able to sell uh, into their compliance or voluntary markets uh, carbon, climate, climate change, obviously a massive issue for uh, the whole world. Um, this is a unique exposure to a business that has differentiated technology to help identify which parts of Australia are best suited to the methodologies uh, that will generate these, uh, these carbon credits uh, and enable, uh, enable the business to, to grow by their, um, their book of credits. Uh, that they're working with their landholders to produce. So that's a that's a bit of a sense of uh, who we are and, and what the what the fund's exposed to at the moment. Yeah, fascinating, Robyn. You know,
0: when you were talking about the first one, I was thinking what a what a fantastic business. And then and then you mentioned you've liberated yeah you know, some property. I was thinking, oh well, you probably got most of your money back from selling the property, but we won't go into that. And then and then the second investment. Um, yeah, I mean, what a fascinating, yeah, you know, a fascinating. Uh, investment opportunity you've got there and 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 thank you for you know allowing us to come with the journey you know with you um th- this this is wma investing in your second fund and one of the one of the great things is you know from our perspective is you know we can invest with you but uh, you know the you know the the thousand odd shareholders we've got on the call today you know they they don't get that same opportunity because you know retail investors can't give you money. I think, I think the minimum ticket size is $10 million. So, well, some of them, you know, it has been a long bull market, yeah. so they, they, they may have that. Um, but um, no, thank you very much, you know, Rob, for allowing us to invest with you. And, and we're looking forward to you know, some, some pretty exciting times uh, going forward. What, what I'll do now is, um, you know, that's sort of the official part of the presentation. Uh, Olivia Harris. Will um, you know, take the the questions and answers. And please, anyone who's got any uh, questions, this is your company. You know, we're only here because you allow us, you know, to be here, and we're we're reporting back to you. Um, so please, um, you know, hit us with any 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 questions at all you have. So I'll pass over to Olivia Harris just to take us through the next part. Thanks, Olivia.
4: Thanks, Jeff, and thanks to everyone who's sending in questions. Um, we're getting plenty coming through and some really interesting questions. So I think we're up for some interesting conversation here. Um, Dania, firstly, we've got a couple of people asking if you could describe what real assets are. Um, and maybe you could give a couple examples of those.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Olivia. Uh, it's actually a very timely question because I think next week we're releasing our real assets educational video. So it it will be coming. Um, Look out for for the email. And if you haven't subscribed to our um, educational series, please do so. Olivia will be able to share with you the details. So real assets, uh, what is included in real assets as a group? We are talking about agriculture, timberland, water rights, there are fishing rights, um, there are other more esoteric strategies. Um, but you know, in, in other words, uh often when you look at some of the institutional investment portfolios, you would also see the term that they refer to as natural resources. Um so I define it as real assets. Most of the time they are tangible. Um uh, we are talking about, you know, either growing trees or different crops, permanent or annual crops. And within those sectors, within those industries, there are various uh, investment opportunities across risk return spectrum. So a very diverse space, Um, few key features about real assets, long-term investing, in particular when we are talking about agriculture and timberland, Uh, But at the same time, those are the asset classes that often have negative or very low correlation to more traditional asset classes. I've done the analysis in the past. I have very high conviction on that. Uh, On top of that, agriculture and timberland are often seen as natural inflation hedge. When added to the portfolio, um, timberland is a very interesting one. Australia and the U.S. are the markets where timberland investment is quite popular, and I've seen um, a lot of offshore investors coming and investing in Australian timberland. It's um, you know it's it's an asset class that has a lot of flexibility. In terms of delivering yield or delivering exits. Because as investors say, well, trees, trees grow and you don't have to cut them, you can just wait if the year is bad. Um, and agriculture, you know, examples that I can give. Um, one of the examples we had recent exit in, in our portfolio within real assets was Hilston Citrus. Uh, that's basically citrus orchard permanent crops. Um, the strategy there was to acquire an asset uh, which included land, trees, irrigation infrastructure. Um, so it's quite a complex investment, complex business. And then the strategy is to add more modern varieties, replant some part of the trees, improve infrastructure, etc. So a lot to talk about, I won't take more time, but I think educational series will give more insights into this.
4: Thanks very much for that, Dania, that was great. Um, we do have a couple questions coming through about the cash levels of the fund. Are you able to speak to, I think it's at about 23%, can you speak to that at all if there are any plans um, to deploy that?
1: Sure, thank you, Olivia. So the current level of cash does include new commitments um, to uh, remind two commitments uh, to borrow and palisade fifteen million each. The expectation is that this will be deployed next year. Um demand commitment was um, just about uh, below ten million and it's now being deployed, so the level of cash will gradually be lower however. With alternative asset classes, it's always important to keep in mind um, that allocations within the portfolio are changing over time because some of the assets or investments will be exited, which means capital will be returning. That affects the level of cash. And then new commitments will be deployed, which again affects the level of cash. In other words, It's always good to have a healthy level of cash within alternative assets portfolio in order to have the flexibility to pursue investment opportunities when they come. It's also very sporadic uh, in terms of when they come. And um, from the moment that capital is committed to the moment the capital is deployed, usually on average, it takes 12 to 24 months at least to get fully deployed. So requires very patient approach, as Adrian mentioned in his comments, focus on quality of the underlying investments, underlying investment teams is very important because we are talking about illiquid asset classes where we will be for the next eight to 10 years sometimes.
4: Thanks, Tania. And we also have a number of questions coming through about the valuation process. Can you discuss how you value unlisted um, your unlisted investments?
1: Thank you, Olivia. Um, valuations um, is a big part of my job, day-to-day job. So, First of all, I take a step back just to explain how the interaction with underlying investment teams uh, works and how we get access to the information. So, on the monthly basis, I have update calls uh, with our investment partners when I go through each investment, discuss any changes that could have happened over the month, how it affected the unit price. And we then receive unit prices from the investment managers uh, with the supported comments on any changes within the unit price. We then go through the process when we assess valuations every six months. So we do half yearly and then annual valuations, which we've done um, just recently. And that's a very thorough process, again, going through each um, of the investment, uh, reviewing independent valuation reports. But what's important to understand as well, while we do receive unit prices on the monthly basis, the independent valuations in alternative asset classes usually happen on annual or semi-annual basis. In some cases, on the quarterly basis. So, for example, when we'll be fully deployed with Palisade, their valuation cycle is quarterly. So, on the quarterly basis, they do assess this. I hope that that answers the, the question, Olivia.
4: Yes, thanks very much, Dania. Um, oh, Adrian, did you want to? Uh, did you want to add something?
2: Yeah, if you don't, sure. If you don't mind me jumping in here, uh, first of all, I think that's a very good question because I recall when I first sat down with Jeff uh, three years ago to talk about this opportunity and was going up a list of issues that we needed to focus on uh, during due diligence. Valuation was way up on that list, so I, I definitely share the concern of shareholders here. Uh, in this case, it's probably worth flagging a couple of things. Uh, first, uh, it's worth pointing out that WMA has gone quite a long way uh, since the Blue Sky days. Um, since BLA going to administration, uh, we've gone through two annual cycles of evaluation, uh, once last June and more recently June of this year. And both cycles were under the supervision of the, of the new board and audited by the new auditor, uh, Pitcher Partners. Um, so, while I can't comment in terms of what uh, Bath may have done in the past, I can assure you that valuation has been a key priority for the new board and also for the new auditors. And after two cycles, I'd like to think that we have refined the process enough that the old, old legacy issues are kind of behind us. The second point is that uh, valuation is never really a science, uh, and there's always a degree of subjectivity involved. Unlike listed companies, uh, private companies have very low liquidity. Um, the lack of transaction makes it hard to establish a precise point of reference. So typically instead of getting a precise figure like yesterday's closing trading price in the case of listed investments, you know, we get a range of values based on various valuation methodologies. And that can be a, a discounted cash flow analysis, um, you know, multiples on comparable companies, comparable transactions, you know, so on and so forth. I think what is interesting to me is where the manager lands uh, in that range of usable values. And what I mean here is that it's not uncommon, for example, for the independent valuer to say that an asset is worth, uh, let's say, you know, five to six times EBITDA. I'm just picking out random numbers here. But for the purpose of the NTA, we need to have a precise number within that range. You know, is it five times? Uh, is it six times? Or or is it somewhere in between? Uh, anywhere within that range it would be considered as fair and reasonable. And what I observed in the last valuation cycle, the one that Danya said that we recently kind of went through, was the propensity for the managers to choose the lower end of that range, i.e. a more conservative valuation. And, and why, you may ask. Um, to some extent, I wasn't surprised at all. I think it's a lot to do with how people are being incentivized. Uh, as part of the transition process, uh, as, which we all know that took a very long time, and that's for a very good reason because we wanted to make sure that the interest of the managers and the shareholders are perfectly aligned. And the key part to that was uh, making sure that the performance fees are no longer based on the NPA of the assets, um, i.e., that we want to make sure that performance fees are only paid when the investments are being sold, and when shareholders can actually see the actual gain coming back uh, in the form of cash. And I suspect that that may have driven a bit of behavioral change uh, uh, within the organization, because right now there's no gain from taking an aggressive stance on quarterly or annual valuation, because the ultimate test is in the realization of the investment and not what the NTA value says about the unrealized investment. So I'd like to think that our valuation process has been vigorous um, and that the stated NTA is fair, with probably a slight leaning to the conservative side, which hopefully the, over time that you know will kind of prove the upside of it. Uh, it's early days, um, and we can't read too much into one transaction, but the better medical sale is probably a good one. Uh, the investment was sold... At a value that was above the carrying value.
4: Thanks very much, Donia and Adrian. That that was great detail. Um, Jeff, we do have a question for you, and you did touch on this earlier. But are you able to speak to the plan for dividends for WMA going forward?
0: Uh, look, and thanks for the question. And yeah, I, I'm one of the, the directors. Adrian's another one of the directors. Obviously, these are board decisions. But, you know, just to give you a bit of an insight into, you know, the board decision more recently in terms of the final dividend and and the fact that, the, you know, the company's clearly articulated the plan for the interim dividend. You know, at the moment, in the profit reserve, and that's, you know, to pay a dividend, you need a profit. To pay a fully frank dividend, you need uh franking credits as well. Um, at the moment, in the profit reserve at the end of July, there was 11.5 cents. Assuming you know, the value of the assets have gone up in August, you know, then whatever amount after tax they've gone up, that gets added to the profit reserve. But let's say we're dealing with 11.5 cents. You know, the board was looking at that figure, um, has agreed to pay a two-cent you know, final dividend clearly articulated that the next dividend will be two cents. Uh, and, and we want to get back to um, whatever we a situation, you know, from a board's perspective, that whatever we pay shareholders in the interim, they expect there's a reasonable chance that that figure will be repeated in the full year. So, you know, if it's two cent interim, then it's two cent full year, so four cents. Now, so the cash flow is a bit smoother where before the cash flow was sort of up and down. You got a quarter of your dividend in the first half and three quarters in the second half. Um, you know, so that's that's effectively the plan. So, ideally, we'd like to go, you know, 2-2, two, two, then, you know, then 3-3, and then 3.5, 3.5, something like that. Yeah, you know, um, you know, it might end up, it really depends how much is in the profit reserve, um, you know, how much profit the company has made over the 12-month period, you know, whether we can, you know, to what extent we can top those dividends up and how much franking we've got because, of course, we want shareholders to have the franking in their hands. Now it's more valuable to them than uh, than in our hands. So, really, we want a growing stream of fully franked dividends um, with the interim in the full year, you know, you know, the interim being a good reflection of what will happen in the full year. Now, th- there may be anomalies. You know, we may have exceptional periods where the board decides to you know, pay a special dividend. The board might decide that, you know, that we've had a really good... You know, second half, so they want to increase the final dividend greater than the normal, you know, just the same as the interim dividend. So there's a number of factors, but broadly, that's 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 where we're going.
4: Thanks very much for that, Jeff and Dania. The next question is for you. This one is from James. Um, he's asked about the team structure. So, given there's a wide investment scope, um, you know, how do you manage the market research, the sector analysis, the due diligence? Um, in the portfolio management. So, maybe you can speak to a little bit about your investment process.
1: Thank you, Olivia. Very good question. Um, So, yes, while at the moment it's me in the team managing the portfolio, we do have plans over time to expand the team um, within the alternative assets. In terms of how um, I approach this, so, Market research is a big part of that. I need to be fully informed what's happening in the Australian market across asset classes. So I do get a lot of insights and information through my own network, but also leveraging the relationships and network of our equity team has been very helpful uh, because they obviously have a lot of insights on the markets from the public equity perspective. Um, and in terms of the due diligence, um, I, I might just maybe take a step back and talk a little bit about the what I call holistic portfolio construction approach. So it all starts with the macro research for me, understanding the macro trends and understanding the market fundamentals across the sectors. And then I spent quite a lot of time um, analyzing relative valuations across the asset classes within alternatives. So let's say if we pick one sector, for example, healthcare, uh, where is now the best time um, in terms of entry valuation to place this theme? Is it in venture capital, private equity, real estate or infrastructure? And then based on that, I will then make a decision which of the asset classes I'd go in Um, and then I look at the universe. Usually, you know, Australia is not such a big market as global alternatives and I know this market really well. I've been doing it for a while. Um, So, I usually, you know, reach out to my network. I have access to placement agents. I have access um, to various contacts in the market through our investment committee as well. But I also get a lot of inbound inquiries, um, which is you know very helpful to source new ideas. And then when it comes to investment due diligence, I am very thorough. Um, uh, for me, it's really the key point to do this due diligence, very um, detailed focusing on various success factors. And I look a lot at what, is the business like in terms of the equity ownership? How is the business structured? How profitable the business is? Because again, these are illiquid assets. So I do want to make sure those businesses are sustainable. And on average, I'd spend, you know, 100 plus hours of doing the investment due diligence just on one strategy. And my intention is to continue in that fashion um, because I want to be a very patient investor rather than just allocate capital for the sake of allocating, Um, you know, quality is key in, in the alternatives.
4: Thanks very much, Dania. And the next question is from Broad. He has asked about um, the Argyle capital investment. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you speak to the level of uh, the high level investment investment? investment that we have there, and if there's any plans to reduce that?
1: Thank you. Um, Thank you, Broad. Um, You know, it's a question that I've um, heard quite a few times from shareholders and market participants, so very valid question. We do have uh, quite a high allocation to real assets, so even from the asset class perspective, when I look at the portfolio, it's quite a significant weight. I do expect that this weight will um, change over time. First of all, within those um, real assets, we also have investments in agriculture, which have um, clear maturity, and they will be exited over the next two to three years. So the weighting will be decreasing. And we also have just over 30% allocation uh, to water strategy. And as the portfolio grows on the back of the organic growth and potentially through new capital raising, um, you know, weights and allocations within the portfolio will change. And I used to, you know, I, I used to to manage portfolios on behalf of larger institutional clients who often had very strict um, strategic asset allocation targets. And that was my first fight to pick up um, that in alternatives, it's nearly impossible to be at any given time exactly at your strategic asset allocation target. So it's much better to have a flexible approach to the portfolio construction, obviously following the risk management framework and obviously um, trying to achieve better diversification over time. And that's my objective.
4: Thanks very much, Dania. And we do have a question from Mark. Um, this fits more into your discussion about megatrends. Um, mm-hmm. Can you discuss if any proportion of the fund is currently invested in the digitalization theme um, and any other opportunities that you're looking at? And maybe if you could talk about some other megatrends that you're investing in and looking at as well.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Olivia. Um so, digitalization, uh, it was good. good question. Uh, I did look through the portfolio in terms of what our exposure percentage was. So, uh, just over 10% currently is in this theme. Um, and most of it is through private equity and venture capital. And really, you know, COVID and um, our second lockdown and the previous lockdown while it did create havoc in our lives. Um, it also, you know, served as a trigger or accelerator to these um, themes. And digitalization was one of them. It was one of the first when most of the businesses realized they need to spend more capital on preparing their businesses to move forward and to capture this theme. Um, so lots of opportunities that are driven by digitalization. Um, Anything with online retail or SaaS investment opportunities, it's all very attractive now and has very strong tailwinds. In terms of other themes, um, I quite like following growing aging population. It's quite a big um, trend in Australia, quite a big theme. And obviously, demand definitely outpaces supply when we look at healthcare services industry. Another one is climate change, and that's you know on the mind for many investors. but I also look at it from the alternative assets perspective. Because those assets are long-term assets, there needs to be more focus um, on climate change and the impact the climate change can have on those assets. So it kind of goes both ways. And finally, growing demand for food, which is a very long long-term theme, and um, it can be played, again, across asset classes within alternatives.
4: Thanks very much, Dania. really appreciate that. Um, I know we're just down to the final minutes here, so I know we didn't get through everyone's question, but we will give everyone a call um, or send you an email and get back to you because I know there are lots that that we didn't get to. Um, I'll just pass back to Dania. Maybe you want to say some closing
1: words and, and then Jeff. Thank you, Olivia. Look, um, I would reiterate my message as I believe I gave at the last um, webinar that alternatives, they do play an important part in any investment portfolio. They also play an important role in our lives. So, it's very exciting asset class to invest in and it's a growing opportunity set. Um, You know, just to kind of remind again the year has been really strong for WMA. I'm very committed. um, And, uh, you know, for me, this year has been fantastic. I just, I'm very um, pleased working with very bright um, people at Wilson Asset Management. And, you know, I am looking forward to continuing delivering for our shareholders going forward. Thank you.
0: Look, look thanks Dania, and thanks Adrian Rob and Olivia and on behalf of you know, myself as a shareholder and all the other shareholders thank you for all the effort you're putting into you know, successfully you know, guide wma um, the the recording of today it will be on our website so please you know go to the um yeah you know, if you haven't if you haven't um signed up please sign up to the weeklies, uh, and and you'll get Danya's, you know, her, her insights into what's happening in the alternative asset a, asset space. Um, you know, we, we're looking for, you know, we think, yeah, you know, it's a great area to invest in. You know, we're very, you know, excited to have WMA as you know part of the Wilson Asset Management Group. You know, we think there's significant upside in, well, a, the shares. You know, B, the company, and we think, and, and C, the sector. Um, and you know, again, uh, you know, sorry, as, as you know, putting my Wilson Asset Management hat on, I'd just like to thank you know, all the shareholders that A, that have been there you know, historically and are now you know, joining us on the journey, or the newer ones that have bought more recently. And look forward to seeing you all in person soon. Thank you.